There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today, Dennis Prager, one of my all-time favorites. It's like listening in a way to the voice of God. <laughs> Not quite as authoritative, but so wise, big picture, has studied everything from geography to history to politics to religion. He's writing a tome on interpreting the Bible, so not that far away from Voice of God. And uh, just a great perspective setter. I love Dennis Prager. I love Prager U. They're five-minute videos. If you just want to get up to speed on something that's in the news quickly, especially cultural issues, invaluable. And uh, really, the guy needs no introduction. So we'll get to Dennis in one second, and you'll thank me. But first this. Let's get right into it and let's start with the patron saint of COVID, Dr. Fauci. All over the news right now, his emails had been subject to a FOIA request by BuzzFeed. The Washington Post got some too. Some people are jumping up and down saying he's a criminal. Some people are saying there's really no there there. I think they're mildly interesting. I don't think they, there's exactly a smoking gun, but they certainly seem to show he knew that Wuhan lab was doing gain of function research where you take the virus and you try to make it more dangerous, uh, at least back in 2014. And um, he seemed to be in a bit of a panic when emails got circulated about it closer in time to the pandemic breaking. And there's a bunch of stuff in there about him downplaying masks and saying they don't work, which is sort of what he said publicly as well. But he really seemed to think that these paper masks were performance-based, which he denied. All of these things he denied to Rand Paul in particular, that masks are performance-based, that we never did gain a function research in that Wuhan lab with American money and so on, seemed to be belied by his emails. And where does that leave us on the patron saint of COVID? My preoccupation in this matter is the media. Uh, I, I am very rarely preoccupied with whether an individual is honest, dishonest, nice, not nice, etc. The culprit in these matters is overwhelmingly the media. That they dismissed all talk of the Wuhan lab being the source and not some cockamamie bat or some animal I never heard of prior to this, let alone ever mm -hmm. ate. Uh, that is... Uh, what is frightening, that so-called 
fact checkers, most of whom are liars, who, who care about facts uh, like I care about the, uh, the Ugandan currency, uh, <laughs> that, th- that these people dismissed all talk of the Wuhan lab as the source of the virus, as conspiratorial and un- unallowable on the Internet, that they were taken down. This, to me, is more frightening than whether Fauci is, is a fraud or a, a, an upright man. It's a much larger issue. If, if Dr. Fauci retired tomorrow, everything would be the same. Everything. And the, the loss, the other issue is not only that, again, the media have come to be Soviet-like. And I say this with unbelievable sadness as a kid who, growing up in New York, reading the New York Times and the New York Herald Tribune even in elementary school, I loved papers, loved them. I subscribed to the New York Times when I came to California in 1976, and it used to come four days late wrapped up in brown, in brown paper. Uh, uh, so it took a long time for me to have contempt for the New York Times and the mm-hmm. Washington Post and the LA Times and the CNN and the whole gang. And the other is the loss of, of any believability for the CDC and, and NIH. I'm, I just, uh, Megan, this, this is all new for me. And I feel actually uh, guilty of something I don't dis- ever excuse adults of, and that is naivete. I believe there was integrity at the CIA, at the FBI, at the Department of State, and at uh, NIH and CDC. They're all corrupt. They've been all poisoned by the great poisoner, leftism. And as I have said for many years of my life, I've studied it since I was at Columbia, the the left. I was at the Russian Institute at the School of International Affairs. My field was communism. I read Pravda every day in Russian. And I never thought that all of the lessons I learned there would ever be applied to America. Everything the left touches, it destroys, and uh, that is true for the medical community as well. But explain why. What 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 is why? Like, well, how is leftism? And I and we've talked about this before. It doesn't sweep up all liberals, but it's sort of capital L and those who are pushing agendas as opposed to might lean you know more liberal on certain social issues. But what what is how has it infected the NIH Fauci's organization as well or the WHO? How? Well, first, uh, I'm very glad that you raised it. I almost uh, Pavlovianly state whenever I talk about the left that I'm talking about the left, not liberals. Liberalism has nothing in common with leftism. And the the tragedy, capital T-H-E, tragedy of our time, is that liberals think that their enemy is conservatives and not leftists. Mm. This is the great tragedy. I have far more in common with a liberal. Liberals believe, and then I'll get back to the NIH, liberals believe that uh, racial integration is a moral ideal. The left believes, like the Ku Klux Klan, in black dormitories and black graduation exercises. Why, the, why liberals vote left? It will, all, will be seen by future historians as the, the issue that enabled America to perhaps lose its freedom. So the uh, 
this is a very important question. Why did the CDC and NIH become corrupted or how the left did it? That That is not fully answerable, but I will say I will offer you two thoughts. One is money. I did not know that uh, pharmaceutical companies give money to the CDC. Mm. So there's clearly a monetary issue here of some of some significance in uh, determining their attitudes, whether it is toward ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, which, in my opinion, would have prevented hundreds of thousands of people from dying. I have been taking both the entire time. I have been around infected people, unvaccinated, uh, all the entire time. I, I have hugged strangers at rallies throughout the lockdown, and I have not had a sniffle, and I believe it is, as my wife as well, is I, on ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc and vitamin D, that the medical community did not advocate therapeutics, all of which have been proven over a half century to be thoroughly safe and went with a vaccine that has not been proven to be safe. I'm not saying the vaccine isn't. I'm simply saying the truth. It has not been proven to be. Is corrupt. It, it, is, it is a corruption on the level of uh, mass homicide. I can't believe I'm saying any of this. I, I, I have been known my whole life as a, as a guy who speaks calmly and uh, uh, without, without exaggeration. Mm-hmm. But money is one of the reasons, and ideology. Yes. Uh, why, did, why did embassies around the, the world show the BLM banner? The BLM is a hate group. Why did, why did embassies show the BLM flag? It, it's, right. it, it's astonishing. So I looked up, you'll find this fascinating. I looked up the, the heads of the embassies, in most cases ambassadors, in, in a few cases chargé d'affaires, there's no ambassador. So the biggest U.S. embassy in the world is in uh, London. And I looked up who is the head of the U.K. embassy, our embassy in the U.K., and can I learn anything about this person? It turns out to be a woman, and in the bio it notes that her mother is on the board of directors of the New York Civil Liberties Union. Oh, Lord. That's the one who decided to put the BLM flag out in London. It's so crazy. I mean, when you think about what BLM, what we saw over the summer with this organization, getting in people's faces, harassing them, overturning their dinner tables, making black motorists stop and raise a fist under threat of harm if they didn't say they supported this group, the the calling for the uh, destruction, basically, of the nuclear family, that they, they want it replaced. And our embassies, on order of our federal government, fly this flag like it's only about a movement like it's only about pushing back against police brutality when i mean five minutes of research would tell you this group is about far more than that well look in my opinion if you can't call blm a hate group it means you don't take the term seriously well ideology has infected certainly a lot of what we've seen here and we've seen it in just the New York Times reporter who tweeted that, sure, we can reevaluate whether this came from a Wuhan lab as opposed to some wet market directly from an animal to a human, but it's racist. Let's just be clear. 
that that is your racism speaking against, I guess, Asian people. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, because the, the the Wuhan lab was funded in part by the United States and many others. Um, but yeah, that's her ideology stopping her from acknowledging what appears to be fact. The New York, well, I'm, I didn't know about that tweet. I thank you for citing it. It furthers, gives more evidence, and furthers the argument that the New York Times is a left-wing sheet. It's very sad, uh, but that's the, the idea that blaming the Wuhan lab is racist is so is so preposterous that it is now on the level of men give birth. We mm. are we are expected to believe drivel nonsense. <laughs> this is what goes uh, for uh, truth uh, on the left. I mean, and and if you don't say it, that's what the totalitarianism is. If you don't say it. You, you are, and of course the R word is simply used. Do you know that there is a professor, I reported this on my radio show, I'm only laughing because I prefer to laugh than to cry. A professor said that uh, the reason, and most Americans of course don't know this, that the, the group that has been attacking Asian Americans in the streets, uh, the, the largest single number is black Americans. More black Americans have attacked Asian Americans than any other group has. And given that black Americans comprise 12% of the population, but uh, comprise over 50% of the attacks, the disproportionality is extreme. So you are far more likely to be attacked if you're Asian American by a black. So a professor, I don't remember what university, they're all interchangeable, it's irrelevant. A, a professor at some university said this was a function of white supremacy that blacks are attacking Asian Americans. Right. There you go. It's not just her. It's not just her. It's that, that, that idea has spread into mainstream newspapers and publications. We ticked a few of them off um, as examples just last Friday on our show. Yeah, that even that because the the white person has kept all minority groups down for so long that they that they've now effectively been pitted against one another thanks to white supremacy, which we know from Ibram X. Kendi, we know from Robin D'Angelo, we all have. It's inborn in our white babies just by nature of their melanin. So it's an impossible situation to rectify other than through self-flagellation and ongoing racial quotas and so on and so forth, many of which do absolutely nothing to help people of color. But can I can I pick up on something you just said? Because you're right that it is totalitarian. That's how it feels. And one of the examples of that that came up this week was Chelsea Mitchell, this runner in the state of Connecticut. Now she's in college, but she was in high school. She came on the show not long ago. We had a great debate. Uh, She came on. Another runner came on. These are girls who are forced to run against biological males, against trans girls, right? Guys who had been running on the boys track team and not doing very well. And then a semester later started running as girls and killed it. I mean, we're just beating everybody without hormones, without anything to change anything about themselves. And Chelsea Mitchell was not happy. (laughs) She understandably, uh, her lawyer was here too. And by the way, we had a trans athlete to defend the other side. So it was a very fair debate. But Chelsea uh, had had been winning everywhere 
And then suddenly these two trans girls come into the races. They took 15 state championship titles. They set 17 new individual meet records. And Chelsea lost four state championship titles to these two runners as a result. And the media came out and said, well, you know what? Chelsea also beat each of those trans girls in a race or two. And she, Chelsea came on and she said, you know how that happened? They defaulted. They foot, they foot faulted at the beginning of the race. They didn't run. That's the only oh reason. Oh, my she... God. And the press did not report that? No, no. It was just, oh, she beat them. So they're beatable. <laughs> they, they, oh, they faulted. That, you see, I knew this whole story. In fact, I, I, I don't know if it's Chelsea, but we had the Connecticut girl do a PragerU video last year. Uh, one, we put out a five-minute video every week. We have a billion views a year. Yeah. And she uh, was, or she or or another runner, I don't remember which, did a video on this precise issue. So we've been on top of it, both on my radio show at Ed Prager U. But this, I read, oh, well, what are you complaining about? They they defeated these biological men, but I didn't know it was on default. No. No, it they didn't run. The guys, yeah, the trans girls did not run. They did. They right? were never beaten yeah. while I could have running beaten them in that race. Right? Even I could have done it. <laughs> so, but here's the point. So Chelsea, who's in the middle of this legal battle, good for her. She just got her case dismissed, sadly, at the federal trial court level because she had aged out. She had graduated from high school. So the court said, "Well, your 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 case is kind of moot now." But it's in the law. There was a. There's an exception for cases like that saying, saying sort of it's untimely, but likely to be repeated. And so they have an appeal to the Second Circuit saying, you need to hear this. And we're not the only girls that this is going to happen to. OK, but this long wind up to saying Chelsea writes a piece in USA Today trying to call attention to this issue. And Chelsea is a sweet girl. She's basically just trying to speak up for girls who have been placed in this impossible position, thanks to ideologues who want to call everybody a transphobe who see a natural problem with this. And by the way, that includes the majority of American people. Gallup just had a poll saying most Americans believe sports should be separated based on biological sex. They went back, USA Today, and edited Chelsea's words without telling her, without getting her permission to take out the terms male or biological male, which she was using to refer to these two runners. Now, I understand I try to be sensitive. I have no desire to unnecessarily hurt feelings. I'm talking to a trans woman, a trans girl. I am happy to refer to them as such. But in this debate, it's so confusing, right? Like it's almost just a short form that it's the biological males running as girls. That is a problem. That's why she's using the terminology. And she's trying to connote the physical advantages that biological males have over biological girls. That's her argument. And USA Today goes in there. Not only do they take out that term, they take out a sentence she had about the physical advantages of males, all without notifying her. And then USA Today apologizes for the use of that hurtful language. Um, the, the, the final piece to the story is Chelsea's attorney uh, with Alliance Defending Freedom comes out and says, we, we cannot have an honest debate when one side attempts to eliminate biological reality and the words that reflect it. But that's how we all are proceeding into these debates, because we get shamed unless we adopt their terminology, say it the way they want and accept certain basic premises that do not match up with science. That's right. By the way, for your uh, listeners uh, interest, and they will be interested, the, the video came out November 16th of last year, the end of women's sports. Selina Sewell or Selena Sewell. Oh, yeah. 
yep. uh, is the girl who uh, did the video for us. It's five minutes, and it's very powerful at the PrakerU.com. It's free, so I, I, I don't have any problem <laughs> pushing it. <laughs> I just want people to see it and understand that, that uh, USA Today edited her piece without telling her uh, is astonishing. Well, it's not astonishing. I, I, that was a foolish comment. It's but it is, further, it is, it, it, it's, it's another, it's a new line, Dennis, isn't it? It's a new, yes, like that is, that's, right. that's a new road to cross. Look, look at, look at what we've come to that we have, we have to say, or you are labeled a hater, that if a biological male who says that uh, she is a female, I don't, and I'm with you, 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 you want to be a she and you look like a she and you have a she's name, you're, you're a she to me, that's fine. Uh, but, uh. Listen, it's going to really uh, the uh, the fertilizer will hit the fan uh, if if the Tokyo Olympics takes place because New Zealand uh, is apparently set to send a, a trans female that is a biological male uh, in the heavyweight division of weightlifting, and uh, you ha- you have to you have to have gone to a graduate school because. Uh, those are the only people who, who could uh, think so unclearly uh, to say mm-hmm. that that's fair to female weightlifters to have a biological male competing against them. So, by the way, there is an answer. People always say, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? The answer is for no female weightlifters to go to Tokyo. And that will end this idiocy. There would be no weightlifting. And, and uh, every girl uh, in high school, if there is a trans competing against them, they don't race. Let the two trans females be the only people to race. Mm-hmm. That is the only way this will end. By the way, the only way in which the corruption of our schools will end is for people to withdraw their children from school. The, the, like everybody says, what's the solution? That's the solution. It's But it's so hard. I mean, that's... It's easy for me because, you know, I have the advantage of, of being financially secure, but so many people, they don't. They're in the midst of a public school system that they that the system has to take their kids because they, they pay taxes and they can't sell their house in this environment and they can't move and they don't, they have jobs and they can't homeschool. To me, it's so, that's just unworkable. We need the right. schools well, to, it's workable to find their way. sanity. This, okay. What we have to do uh, is states that have, uh, that have sober governors, meaning in general Republicans, they will have to finance, help finance people who need help because they have taken their children out of schools because their children have had their souls, their minds, their values corrupted. Uh, The fact is parents now, it's between, I agree, a rock and a hard place. It, It is a tragedy of unspeakable dimensions. Nevertheless, our parents need to understand sending your child to a regular school today, and not just public, private, and some of the private are worse, means that they will learn to hate America. They will have their, uh, their innocence destroyed by premature sexualization, such as drag queen uh, study hour that they will have uh, bringing in a, uh, a cisgender as they call it, a, a male identifying as a male, but wearing women's clothing, reading stories to them and shimmying with them in first grade, in first grade. 
they will learn that America was founded in order to preserve slavery. That was the purpose of the American Revolution, uh, because the, the Brits uh, would outlaw. They didn't outlaw it even at the time. It's so it, it's just a gigantic lie. But uh, and on the other hand, is the financial problems. One of the things people could do. A lot of grandparents do have more money than their than their children. They should finance their children in taking them out of schools. We we can find money on the state level and uh, from uh, uh, grandparents who have it up. This is not a fortune of money. It's not little. Uh, but I understand that some people can't do it because they have to have two people working to support their home. But people need to acknowledge the damage done to their children and ultimately to their relationship with their children who are being raised by the, by the elementary schools, high schools, and colleges to have contempt for their parents. Right, right. You pointed out recently in one of your articles, they're not just being raised to have contempt for their parents' values, but for their parents themselves. That's what every cult does. The first thing cults do is sever parental authority. Coming up after the break, we're going to get into what's happening in uh, our schools and beyond as the new message out of Portland, Oregon, is that if you do not consider yourself a, quote, an anti-racist, you're the same as a pedophile. That's next. You look around at the messages coming out from the teachers. You know, yes, you get the occasional Paul Rossi, God love him, from Grace Church here in New York, who came out and said, I'm not, I can't countenance this, 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 what's happening here is wrong. A math teacher saying, why is everything in my math class suddenly about, quote, anti-racism, which, of course, is, is really just code for racism. Um, you've got him. But there for every Paul Rossi, I feel like there are 10 uh, Catherine Watkinses. This is an eighth grade teacher in Portland, Oregon, who is in the news this week for comparing people who push back on this anti-racist term and critical race theory, which is incredibly divisive, comparing them to pedophiles. Listen to her, Dennis. Well, Catherine Watkins, eighth grade humanities teacher at Cedar Park Middle School, and my pronouns are she, her, we, and us. Um, I'm going to say something that's not nice and not sweet, but it's true. If you're not evolving into an anti-racist educator, you're making yourself obsolete in this field of profession. Um, our district is only getting browner and browner with our children. And so if, you know, obviously you can't change your melanin, all right, but you can change your mind so that you can actually function in a, a district that is full of BIPOC children. So if you're being resistant, I understand that, but you're gonna have to eventually come to the light because if you're going to keep with those old views of um, colonialism, um, it's going to lead to being fired because you're going to be doing damage to our children, um, trauma. And so as we fire the teachers who sexually abuse our children, we will be firing the, the teachers who do racist things to our children and traumatize them. Well, there is a very important point to, to be made here. This is... 100% consistent with all leftist attacks. They're never precise. What colonial racist thing is she, in fact, attacking? 
Right. I, if you hear her, you have no idea what it is that people in her view say or think that is reprehensible. That's a good point. So I have no idea. That, but it is done all the time, all the time. I'm All I do is I ask, please give me an example. I've been broadcasting 35 years. This is the exact method in which I write and speak. I make a generalization, and then I give examples. A gener generalizations are fine, but only if you could provide examples to support your generalization. They never do. Is the belief that Beethoven wrote the greatest music, is that racist? Is the belief that there are objective and only one right answer to a mathematical question, is that racist? Tell me what is racist. Is saying that it is a bad thing to have a dormitory of only one race, is that racist? Tell me exactly what it is that is rendering your colleagues obsolete. You have to be, quote, anti-racist, uh, even if you can't change the color of your skin, she says. Otherwise, you're going to get fired and you'll be treated like a pedophile. So what is that? What does it mean to be anti-racist? You know, it makes me think of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African-American History and Culture defining whiteness, right? This is what we're supposed to be getting away from our whiteness as, and I quote, self-reliance. This is what you need to get away from. Otherwise, you're a pedophile. Self-reliance, the nuclear family, the scientific method, objectivity, hard work, Christianity, delayed gratification, and respect for authority totally insulting to black Americans of, from coast to coast to suggest they don't share those values. They get away with it, right? Because it's the National Museum of African American History. So I guess they can say what they want. But that's really what they're talking about. You, you're right. They don't give examples because the examples would completely undermine her point. That's exactly right. That list of, of irreprehensible things to the left is why the left is the enemy of civilization. Every one of those things, unless I missed something, is a wonderful thing. Objectivity, the nuclear family, Christianity. I'm a Jew. I'm, in fact, a religious Jew. And uh, I, I fear the demise of Christianity as much as any Christian in this country. Do you know that in... Uh, in the 19th century, the greatest German poet who ever lived, Heinrich Heine, who was, uh, was ethnically a Jew, he was not religiously a Jew, but he was born a Jew, wrote, and I quote him, uh, if people put in Dennis Prager Heinrich Heine, H-E-I-N-E, -E, they'll get the, the exact quote, but he wrote basically this, the only thing that is stopping the Germans from unleashing their viciousness is the cross. And if that fails, we will see evil the likes of which humanity has never seen. He predicted World War II and the Holocaust 100 years before it arose. When Christianity died in Europe, just to take one of the things that, uh, that the Museum of Black History hates, Christianity, when Christianity died in Europe, we got fascism, Nazism, and communism. What will we get in America when Christianity dies? That's the, that's the biggest single question Americans should be asking. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you had a piece recently 
talking about this, where you wrote about how affluence plus secularism, you know, the eschewing of religion, leads to leftism. How, how is, expand on that. Yes. Uh, if I may be personal for a moment, uh, my listeners of decades know that every so often I will simply state that the essence of everything I have talked about for 35 years is what are the consequences of secularism. See, everybody knows that there's such a thing as too much religion or religious extremism, which I agree, there is religious extremism. But you've never heard in your life the term secular extremism. You can't be too secular. You can only mm. be too religious. Which is That's good. You're right. Which is absurd. Right. So we we are secular extremists. And the consequences uh, have been the following. The human being wants meaning more than anything except food. This is Viktor Frankl's brilliance. It was one of the the books that most influenced my life after the Bible. Viktor Frankl, psychoanalyst, went through the Holocaust, wrote Man's Search for Meaning. It is still a bestseller, I don't know, 40 years after it was written. He is no, he is no longer with us. And uh, it changed my life. I read it in high school. It's quite brief. And he made it clear that Freud uh, was not right. The, the ultimate, uh, the, the great urge is not sexual, as powerful as the sexual drive is. The great urge is not what Marx said it was, economic, as powerful as that drive is. The most powerful drive is the yearning for meaning. People can live without sex, and they can live without, uh, not without any, but without much money. But they can't live without meaning. That Nobody is capable of doing that. And so we have... Or not we, the left has taken away meaning, the traditional sources of meaning. What were they? For example, God and country, which is, of course, held in contempt, that phrase. God, God is for morons. The Bible is for fanatics. And country means you're a nationalist and therefore a chauvinist and therefore a fascist. So what is left? No God, no country to believe in. Well, then you will need secular religions. And that's what we have been having since Marx for the people who have left religion. They have secular religions, Marxism, communism, socialism, environmentalism, feminism, you name the ism, it is, it serves as a secular substitute for religion. So when you, now, why did I mention boredom and affluence? That's the other factor. Poverty gives you meaning. No poor people uh, have no meaning. They ha all have meaning. I have to get lunch. I have to get dinner. I have to feed my family and myself. That's such a good point. Can I just say this? It's such a good point. I, I constantly say when people are going off about these irrelevant, mundane things that really don't amount to what they say they amount to, th that they have too much time on their hands. They need a busier, more fulfilled life, whether it's the mean suburban housewife who's just hassling you for no particular reason, or it's a leftist trying to tell you that your unwillingness to say two plus two equals anything other than four is racist. They have too much time on their that, hands. That, that's exactly right. Boredom is one of the great animators, and when it's combined with secularism, you get leftism. 
It, it's a formula like E equals MC squared. Why, why are religious Americans overwhelmingly not on the left? They get their meaning from religion. Marx knew this. That's why Marx hated religion. He called it the opiate of the masses. Right. It, it, uh, it did not enable them to make revolutions because it gave them meaning. The revolution should give them meaning. But damn it, their religion gives them meaning. So we have to get rid of this alternate meaning called religion. It's happening. It's, it's happening. happening. That more is and correct. More. People yes. are running from it and demonized for it. And this getting religion out of the public square has, it just seems to have spread to getting it out of the private square as well. I I think it's interesting. You know, we did this long debate recently, and it was a great debate on what's happening in Israel. And we had uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, and we had both sides represented. But one thing we did not get to that you've been making a point of is that the, the whole dispute that we're watching over there is actually about religion. And, you know, perhaps it was a failing of me in, in moderating the debate that we didn't really get to that because it, it's an important piece of why Israel, Israel, unlike any other country, uh, gets winds up in the news for the way it treats the Palestinians as opposed to look at look at the neighboring countries, you know, look at how other countries uh, treat Muslims. And you've been making this point. Well, there are two, two uh, separate issues, and I'm very uh, delighted and actually honored that you, you read my pieces. Always. Thank you. It means a lot. Uh, yes, uh, I said this on Fox News, and it, it sort of went viral because people just... Uh, if someone of your depth also thought it was about land, it shows how necessary a corrective what, what I'm saying is. Uh, it has it has almost nothing to do with land. If is if Israel were the size of the Bronx, they would want to destroy it. They don't want a Jewish state in the middle of the Middle East. Period. That's the that's all it is about. That is why the Palestinians never almost never refer to the Israelis as Israelis. They call them the Jews. That is why Jews are attacked by Muslim extremists in the United States and Britain and Germany and elsewhere. Jews, kill the Jews. They don't say kill the Israelis. They say kill the Jews. That's their, that's their motto. It's about Judaism and Islam. That's what it is about. And I, I was at the Middle East Institute at Columbia. I was at the Russian Institute of Middle East Institute. I did Hebrew, Arabic, and, and, and Russian. And uh, it, it, even then I knew my professors all got it wrong. All these brilliant professors of the Middle East at Columbia University in the 1970s, it's about land, it's about land, it's about land. They bought the lie. And you know why? Because they're all secular. So they can't imagine that religion animates people. That's what it's really mm -hmm. about. I'm secular, so the battle must be secular. But it isn't. It's kill the Jews. It's we, you, can't, you can have 22 Arab states in the Middle East, but not one Jewish state the size of New Jersey. That's what it amounts to. And that is why anti-Zionism, not criticism of Israel, no one ever said criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic because Zionism is the movement to establish a Jewish national homeland where it already existed twice in history. There was never a country named Palestine. There was never an Arab country in that area. There was never a Muslim country in that area. The only two countries that ever existed as sovereign states 
were Jewish country number one, destroyed in 586 BC, and Jewish country number two, destroyed in 70 AD, and Jewish country number three, established in 1948. And uh, how many people know this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a great point. And we're seeing it spill over onto the streets of New York, California, in Europe, these attacks on people for being Jewish. It's not because they support Israel. There's no statement on whether they support Israel or not prior to the attacks on them. It's the site they, they see a yarmulke and they go after them. That's right. And uh, a Jewish writer, I don't remember in, in what on what website, but a Jewish writer made a brilliant point about how people speak about the Israel lobby, and they always associate it with Jews. He said, in fact, the Israel lobby is overwhelmingly non-Jews, and the anti-Israel lobby is overwhelmingly composed of Jews. Wow. <laughs> it's so that's sick. nuts. It's so sick. Well, that's what Dershowitz was saying about Bernie Sanders. He's yes, like, Bernie, why, why is his rhetoric so anti-Jewish and anti Israel, you know, he thinks he's a he's a self-hater, but I don't know whether that's true or whether it's just his leftist ideology because he's about as far left as you can go around the bend. Well, it is a statement about the left that once again, uh, I wrote I guess you saw it. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted as I said earlier. I wrote a piece and if I I remember the title correctly, let's see, it was Men Give Birth um, I forgot the second absurdity, and and uh, Israel or Hamas is the victim. In other words, right. the, on the for the left, everything is wrong. Men don't give birth. Israel is not the aggressor, etc., etc. This you're expected to believe that north is south and east is west. I wrote another column last year. It's not even that the the left's moral compass is broken. They don't have one. <laughs> it's stuck at north is south and east is west. Mm-hmm. And two plus two does not equal four. That's but right. You also, you've also said that you think many of the the factors behind hatred of Jewish people are the same factors that are behind hatred of America. Why is that? Yes, and I I wrote this decades ago. People can see it in my book, Why the Jews, the Reason for Anti-Semitism. And I wrote, then, anti-Americanism is a modern version of anti-Semitism. America and the Jews, and certainly American Israel, have so much in common. One of them being that they're extremely successful. People hate successful people. (laughs) And successful people who have an ideology that includes religiosity is particularly lamentable. America was founded to, to have a secular government and a religious people. One of our mottos is, in God we trust. That is up there. You never see it at a State of the Union address because they never take a wide-angle shot. It's fascinating. I am certain it's deliberate. Hmm. Yep. 
the only time I knew that in God we trust in giant letters is chiseled into the wall above the speaker and the vice president is when I went to Congress for a State of the Union address. And I was stunned to see in God we trust chiseled mm-hmm. onto the wall behind the speaker. But you never see it on television because they never do a wide pan. But America was founded on the belief that it is an exceptional people. The Jews believe they're an exceptional people. Doesn't mean better. There is no doctrine. I know Judaism very well. I've written books on it. I've taught it on college level. And, I, and I'm writing a Bible commentary now up to volume number three. So I, I know my, my Judaism real well. And there was never a doctrine that Jews were better than anybody else. And the, the, the Bible itself says, I didn't choose you because you're better. I, cho- I choose you because you're so tiny. But the fact is, Jewish chosenness is a source of anti-Semitism. And American exceptionalism is a source of anti-Americanism. America was founded. This, most people don't know this. The, the founders said we are the second chosen people. First is the Jews and then us. They chose a verse from the Torah to be on the Liberty Bell. Most of the founders studied Hebrew. I mean, the, the connection between uh, the, the, the United States, it's unique. America is the Judeo-Christian country. Mm-hmm. And so the Judeo and the Christian are hated by the left. And again, back to the success that the most capitalist and most religious industrialized democracy is the most successful rank rankles the 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 left and always has we are a living refutation of leftism the success of capitalism the success of individualism the success of judeo-christian values it must be torn down Coming up next, President Biden spoke in Tulsa, Oklahoma this week, why Dennis says it was the most anti-American speech he has ever heard. But first, before we get to that, we're going to bring you a feature we have on the MK Show called Asked and Answered, where we get to some of our listeners' questions about the show, about life, about anything. And for that, we bring in our executive producer, Steve Krakauer, who's been combing through the questions on our social media and at... Uh, yes, questions at devilmaycaremedia.com, which is where we got this one today. Uh, another one I'm really excited to, to hear the answer to. So this is from- I don't, I don't know this question today. Uh, Sometimes I know what the questions are today. I do not know. <laughs> I think we emailed about it. I won't, okay, anyway, well, we'll this, will, this will be good. I don't read all those emails, Steve. <laughs> this is going to be uh, right off the cuff here. This is from Jeremy Apfel, who wants to know, did you make a conscious decision to start cursing more often on the podcast? <laughs> if so, how did you come to that decision? And he wants to say, for what it's worth, I like it, raw and unfiltered. Uh, Jeremy, is that his name? That's Jeremy Atfill. Yes. Jeremy, thank you for that. That's funny. There was no conscious decision. This is just me. <laughs> I really do have a mouth like a like a sailor. And, I, you know, I people have mixed feelings about it, but I come by it honestly. Uh, my mom's not a big swearer, but my nana was. My nana, she loved to drop a few four-letter words. And I'll tell you what really got me swearing was my time in the law. You know, I practiced law for almost a decade, and lawyers swear a lot. They do it in anger. They do it in humor. They do it in storytelling. And it was just part of the culture. And I just got used to it. And it, it can be so effective. You know, the, a properly used F-bomb can just be so effective. Not that I've perfected that, but I, I try. <laughs> and it, I never was able to shake it. While on television, you cannot. And that was easy to abide by. But in my real life, I am definitely a swearer. 
And I try not to swear too much on the program because I I do still want to be a professional uh, with you guys. But one of the things I love about this format is you can you can let your freak flag fly. You know, if you happen to like cursing, you can do it. People who don't want to hear that won't listen or maybe they'll tolerate a bit and forgive you. Uh, But I think for the most part, people are okay with the occasional curse. You know, I try not to do it too much. Uh, but sometimes you really need it. You know what I mean? Sometimes there's really no substitute. And overall, I'd say the program is enhanced by it more than it is undermined by it. Though I understand some people listen with their kids and they would like that to stop. I, For you folks, I apologize. Maybe in our advanced version of the MK show, we will find the clean version. We'll offer a beeped version uh, so I can continue being me and you can continue listening with your six-year-old in the car. Uh, but until then, bear with me. I promise to be at least judicious in my approach to those four letter little darlings. Steve? I, I love it. I love it. I uh <laughs> I'm I have to say I'm a fan of the cursing. I think that was one of the first conversations we had early on before we launched the show was like the the reason it will be the most you of any show is because you couldn't, you know, fully be your full personality on NBC or Fox. So I just wanted to say I think that's that true. We are capturing that now in its in its full <laughs> we certainly are. And we also had a discussion about it because if you swear, you have to slap an explicit notice on your show, right? Don't don't we have to have explicit? We do. Or like if somebody has a non-explicit ban on their podcast availability, then we won't come up, right? Yeah. No, no. We've got a little, we've got our little E next to it. Uh, so we're, you know, it's, it's your warning. You, you know, you know, you're coming, you know what you're getting into. Proceed at your own risk. The very same thing I say to all of my guests. Steve, thank you, sir. Again, it's questions, plural, at devilmaycaremedia.com, or you can hit us up on uh, on Facebook, on Insta, on Twitter uh, with a question that you may have and with a thought about the show and with guest suggestions and anything else you might like to share. Uh, and now back to Dennis in one second, but first this. You don't have to go down the food chain to pundits like Kendi to get this. Just just this week, President Biden was making statements about our country that made it sound like we were still back in the Tulsa, Oklahoma of 100 years ago uh, when he went there to mark the anniversary of this race riot that that destroyed a very well off black community. And, And it's estimated to have left hundreds of people dead. So he goes to Tulsa and he makes a speech talking about America. I mean, it reminded me, frankly, of Barack Obama when he did his apology tour, couldn't find anything good to say about our country. And to hear Joe Biden talk about America and and the racial progress made, you'd think there'd been none. We have a little bit of that. Listen, listen here. We've allowed a narrowed, cramped view of the promise of this nation to fester. The view that America is a zero-sum game, where there's only one winner. If you succeed, I fail. If you get ahead, I fall behind. If you get a job, I lose mine. And maybe worst of all, if I hold you down, I lift myself up. Millions of white Americans belong to the Klan, and that hate became embedded systematically and systemically in our laws and our culture. 
We do ourselves no favors by pretending none of this ever happened or doesn't impact us today because it does still impact us today. I didn't realize hate's never defeated. It only hides. It hides. And given a little bit of oxygen, just a little bit of oxygen by its leaders, it comes out of there from under the rock like it was happening again, as if it ne never went away. It's the most uh, anti-American speech ever given by an American president. As I said on my show, I loathe Joe Biden as much as the anti-Trumpers loved Donald Trump. And uh, the, 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 this man is so reprehensible that... Uh, this speech will go down as one of the most uh, mendacious, that means lying for those who went to college and didn't study vocabulary. Appreciate that. We always love the translations of any terms. Yes. Uh, the mendacity of this speech is only rivaled by its, the lying is only rivaled by its antipathy. That a president of the United States could say, First of all, what does this mean? We pretend this didn't happen. Who pretends this didn't happen? I know. That was the, my... That, well, exactly. Right? Who is doing that? Yes. No, nobody. They, they make charges. The uh, One writer in the Wall Street Journal in the middle of one of the terms of Barack Obama wrote the most important article on, on Barack Obama that I read in the eight years, in the eight years of his presidency. All he does is attack straw men. Mm. That's what this speech is about, Strawman. Mm -hmm. Who denies this happened? And right. what is he talking about? Hate never dies. What does it mean, hate never dies? It's an absurdity. Hate never mm -hmm. dies. I mean, as a Jew, let me tell you, uh, it, it certainly did for all intents and purposes in America compared to Europe. That's why Jews flocked here in the millions. By the way, it, it, it's died here immensely. Here's a, here's a question no leftist ever, ever, ever confronts. Why have millions of blacks moved to the United States from Africa? Did any Jews move to uh, Germany in the 1930s? <laughs> Germany was systemically anti-Semitic. Any Jews moved there? Hey, there's the land of opportunity. Let's go to Germany. No, zero. Why have millions of blacks moved to America? Because they haven't bought the lie that America's racist. That's why. It's a living refutation of the entire claim of the, of the Kendys and the others that this country is systemically racist. They must think that blacks in Africa who come here are morons. True morons. Why would you come to a place that hates you? You know, speaking of a Wall Street Journal columnist, Jason Riley, who I love, had a response to this, which everybody should read in the Wall Street Journal. And he's the guy who wrote that book, Please Stop Helping Us, which really puts a lot of this in perspective if you want a longer read. But he, this is what he said in response to the Tulsa speech. He said, properly understood, what happened 100 years ago to now demonstrates how much racial progress has been made in this country in a relatively short time. He says, yet for progressives in the media, it's an opportunity to push for racial preferences and bigger government, government, et cetera. He says the goal is to link today's racial disparities to past wrongs and to play down or ignore the far more significant role contemporary black behavior plays in social inequality. And he points out how the press 
went to the Tulsa mayor and kept trying to get the Tulsa mayor who is, uh, or sorry, the, it, I think it was, um, maybe it was the Selma mayor during Barack Obama's speech. It was, it was one of those two because Barack Obama did the same thing. Um, trying to get him to say, oh, you know, it's, it's racial disparities. It's racism in America. This is what's causing all the problems in the black community. And, and the guy kept saying, well, we have a lot more crime today than we had in 1965. Well, we had segregation back then, but we didn't have this crime rate. And Jason Riley has been doing a really good job of sort of taking a hard look at this and pointing out that in the first half of the 20th century, long before big government decided to help the black community, expand the welfare state, incomes were rising for blacks, poverty was falling dramatically for them, education gaps were narrowing, blacks were entering the skilled professions, law and so on, at faster rates than in the years after the civil rights period. And, and yet black crime rate, the black crime rate continues to go up. And, and he, he points out how, you know, the more big government gets involved, the worse the situation for black Americans gets. But the more the Democrats in charge keep blaming events of 150, 100 years ago, 50 years ago for all the problems of today without getting honest about maybe it is some of this big government interference. Maybe it is the absence of faith in the public square, the absence of, of mother, father, family. Why can't we speak honestly about this rather than pretending there's no difference between Tulsa of 100 years ago and today? Your uh, excellent summary gave the answer. The entire narrative turns out to be a lie if they hear what we have to say. Tom Sowell, one of the greatest thinkers of the of the of this century and 20th, who would be a household name if it were not for the fact that he is a black conservative and not a, not a black leftist. So true. Black, uh, black family integrity, in other words, intact husband-wife, was higher in the 1930s than whites. Why did it go from overwhelming majority of blacks were born to a married mother and father to the to nearly 80% of blacks are raised without a father in their home government government the left remember the left ruins everything it touches that is the most important rule of life other than gravity and it is as true <laughs> as gravity and th- Nowhere is it more obvious than with regard to blacks. The damage that the left has done to black America is uh, should elicit such rage to be told that you are so pathetic that we will change the rules of, of grammar for you. We will change the grading system for you. We will change the rules of math for you. The contempt of blacks. That is inherent. I do believe there is systemic racism on the left. That I do believe. The only place in America I know of where there's systemic racism. You are inferior. We believe you're inferior. We will not make the same moral demands on you as we make on any other group. That is Ku Klux Klan racism. Mm, It's true. Riley points out in the piece, he says, by the way, progress of black Americans is not conditioned on racial tolerance. He says, look at the Asians. Look at the anti-Asian sentiment that was in this country, going back to Japanese internment camps and beyond, and the progress that American Asians have made, Asian Americans have made, notwithstanding 
a, a fair amount of prejudice against them. You know, it it all the messaging toward black America from people like Joe Biden is about disempower empowerment. And by the way, another thing he said in that speech, which was just ridiculous, was, you know, black people, he said they don't have accountants. They don't have lawyers. He had people like Leo Terrell on Twitter going, hey, Joe Biden, I am a lawyer. <laughs> Look at me. I'm all grown up and I actually got a JD. So dismissive. Can you imagine if Trump said that? Black people, they don't have accountants. They don't have lawyers. Groups are used. Feminists use women. If feminists They're cared used. about women, they would be the first group to oppose biological men in sports right. and women's sports. Feminists they, they care about nothing. women like I care, again, about the Ugandan currency. No offense to Uganda. I've been to 20 African <laughs> countries. I have big affection for Africa. But uh, it's, not, uh, it's not on my radar, the Ugandan currency, and it is not on the feminist radar helping women. Uh, all left-wing groups have a left-wing ideology and use the group. Environmentalists use global warming to change the entire economy. It's a use of it. If they believe this proof, the environmentalists, the vast majority don't give a damn about global warming and carbon dioxide because there is such a perfect answer. Nuclear power. Why yeah, aren't right. they for it? Well, this is what Riley says. Why this focus on white criminal behavior in Tulsa 100 years ago rather than, say, black criminality in places like Chicago, Baltimore, St. Louis? Because it helps Democrats get elected. That's that's what it's about. That's what's so cynical about the whole speech and the approach here. It's a huge manipulation of people to tell them that they're downtrodden that, that and that there's this boogeyman they can blame as opposed to you. You can pick yourself up. It's not the system. There are plenty, plenty of affluent black people in this country, affluent Asian-Americans and so on, who overcame whatever systemic problems still remain. It's not to say anything's perfect. But the disempowerment helps get votes. Yeah. And apparently it works, though. It's working less. There are more blacks voting Republican. And uh, there are young blacks. Candace Owens, the most uh, well-known. Uh, and uh, we, we have a young woman named Amalia at PragerU. She's just 21 years old. She, she has a, an African father and a white leftist mother. And she has simply gotten rid of the chains of leftism. One of the brightest uh, young people I've ever met. She regularly does uh, work for PragerU. She's on 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 as hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of followers. The these these are rays of hope uh, today. But of course, these are the people most hated. The most hated group in America mm -hmm. is is white Christians. The second most hated is black conservatives. <laughs> Third it's most so hated is my group. I'm hated on two levels. I'm hated for being white and conservative, and I'm hated for being a Jewish conservative. Uh, and you're a guy. Yeah, and male, of course. This is and by <laughs> cisgender male, we must add. I actually identify <laughs> with my biology. My preferred pronouns are he and uh, <laughs> uh, and him. Uh, my preferred pronouns are figure it out. Yes. Well. That's good. That's actually good. I, I think that's what everybody should uh, have, figure it out. Because if you really do look like a woman, act like a woman, talk like a woman, dress like a woman, and have a woman's name, I don't care what you started out as. Right. That's the, the only people who care about that are those who are intimate with you. I don't. 
So that's fine. I want I want a trans woman to look like a woman, take a woman's name, etc. I I I I don't know if you know this. There was no reason that you should, but I I I have an avocation of conducting orchestras. I'm very involved in I classical do know this. music, of course. Okay, yes. So uh, one of my many years ago, I, I at a rehearsal of, of of a symphony I was conducting, I mentioned to the permanent conductor that wow, I have never seen a woman timpanist before. There was a young woman who was the timpanist. Timpanist, for those who don't know orchestras, the timpani are the drums. And it's very rare to see a female timpanist, and certainly it was 25 years ago. So he said, well, actually, she started out as a man. So I thought, fine. She actually looked like an attractive woman. And I I didn't have any thoughts, oh, well, it's really not, I don't know, Lydia or whatever her name was. Of course, it's Lydia. That's fine. It's a non-issue. We're, we conservatives are not against the the trans. This is this is a gigantic lie. It's as big a lie as we're against blacks. But uh, it, 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 we are for the fairness. It's unfair. Why isn't that obvious? How can a can a biological male compete against women in weightlifting? And you know what? And not only that, just the debate on the on the terminology. I don't want to call myself cisgender. I'm just a woman. I am a woman. That's what I am. I I don't want to say people who menstruate. I don't. I, if you want to come on over and and you want to live your life as a woman and you or you don't want to and you still menstruate even though you look like a man, you can figure that out. But a a woman menstruates. Uh, I am a woman. If I, I'll use the term cisgendered if if I have to in order to make distinctions when having a debate about the trans community, but the attempt to control language mm-hmm. is suffocating isn't it it's just suffocating and i'm sick of being called names when you're just trying to use terms like woman like breastfeeding that are not offensive they use names because they don't debate issues do you know i i did i do a weekly fireside chat on on youtube and at prager you and my bulldog is sitting next to me and I talk into the camera from my own study in my own house. Got a lot of views each each week. And I did something I had never done before a couple of weeks ago. John Oliver broadcast this hate-filled lying rant against Israel. He did. And I actually played it and responded. And what I said was, I will go anywhere in America. And he can pick the moderator. Let's debate the Middle East. Oh, he could never. Of course not. By, this is a rule of the left. They don't debate. They yep. can't debate. They lose every debate. Why won't Kendi sit with, with Coleman Hughes? Why won't D'Angelo sit with Ayan Hirsi Ali? That's these right. are black commentators who are asking to take on these ideas. That's right. We gladly debate them. We gla- They don't come on our shows. I will go on any left-wing show at any time of day, any time. They don't want, correctly, deep down they know there is no intellectual or factual substance to anything the left says. Anything. Well, and they don't have to. They don't. It, it, tactically, as a lawyer, I say, yeah, I see your point. You're making tons of money. You don't really have to defend the ideas. You prepare your speech. You say it into a, into a camera, if you're John Oliver, into your book, if you're Kendi. And you don't really have to defend it, and the the checks keep coming. So why take the risk? Yes, 
By the way, it's worse than that, in my opinion. I don't even think money is the primary issue. I think it's a big factor. But I think the primary issue is power. They they want and belief. I think it's an this has been a one of the few questions about the left that I have not been able to answer for myself. Do they believe their lies? And I'll give you an example. It is a gigantic lie that President Trump ever said they were good Nazis. He never said Correct. that. He said there were no, good people and bad people about the people pro and anti statues. There were two different demonstrations. After the father he condemned of, white uh, supremacists. Jewish, I'm sorry? After he condemned explicitly yes, the white supremacists. Exactly. On we have a video on that too, the Charlottesville lie. Yeah. which Steve Cortez gives it also at PragerU. People, it's all, these are all five minutes. You should, people should all see them and show <laughs> them to friends. If the friends will devote five minutes to something they differ with. It's a gigantic lie that the president said they were good Nazis. It, 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 it's absurd on uh, prima facie because the man has a Jewish daughter and Jewish grandchildren. So he thinks there are fine people who want to murder his children. I mean, right. it, 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 even, even the biggest Trump hater has to, has to enter uh, the twilight zone to believe that. So the question is, do they really believe it? And yes, a lot of them do really believe what they say. Mm. They When they say America's systemically racist, I think a lot of them believe it. I don't think it's money. It's ideology. The Bolsheviks in, in Russia were not animated by, by money. These are true believers. One must understand that leftists are, to leftism, what an evangelical Christian is to Christianity. They're not in it for the money, evangelical Christians. They're in it for the belief system. Mm. Leftism gives these empty souls, and every leftist has an empty soul. They're devoid of, of, of significant meaning. So they have grasped onto this nihilistic venture called leftism. Do you know there's so little racism in America? I have a proof for it. The number of race hoaxes in this country is greater than the number of actual racial incidents. Jussie Smollett was the best known, but not the only. Well, I mean, there's no question that there have been more and more race hoaxes. And what's always heartening when you see them is members of the black community speak out against them and say, this is absurd, right? Like we don't, we don't need this and it's not helpful, but it doesn't help to have somebody at the top, like Joe Biden fanning these flames. You know, we, Trump fanned flames in another way, you know, his rhetoric wasn't helpful. And Biden's doing his own thing. And so I want to ask you, uh, you know, you say you loathe him with the amount of fervor that the Trump fans loved Trump. No, no. Um, with the amount of fervor that the anti-Trumpers hated Trump. Okay. Hated Trump. Okay. So where, where do you think Biden goes from here? It seems to me the bluster is, is leaving his overall policy approach and the way he speaks about himself. Transformational, transformational. That's what everybody said about him. And then I heard him saying the other day, and I'm quoting here, I hear, I hear all the folks on TV saying, why doesn't Biden get this done or that done? Well, because Biden only has a majority of effectively four votes in the House and a tie in the Senate with two members of the Senate who vote more with my Republican friends, which isn't true. He's talking about mansion and cinema. Not true. But that's a far different cry from transformational. You know, he got his $1.9 trillion COVID relief through with all these liberal wish list items on it. But it is now looking like he is not going to get his two other big proposals through for, for a total of 4.1 trillion, his infrastructure bill and his big family plan. This is money for climate change 
items, free community college, universal pre-K, subsidized childcare, housing, paid leave, blah, blah, you, you list it. It's all, you know, liberal wish list of things. But he's not getting the votes. It doesn't look like he's going to get this through. And so I'm starting to wonder whether he came in with a bang. You know, he's like, what is it? Like uh, the opposite of March comes in with like a lion, goes out with a lamb, like a lamb. He might be the opposite, right? Or no, no, he might be March. Came in with like a lion and went out like a lamb. I don't know whether or not he can put anything through the Senate. It's uh, because of the two people you mentioned, mentioned in cinema. I don't know. The pressure on these people to stay with the Democrats, um, big votes, is, is so enormous. We, we can only imagine it. Uh, look, he, yes, he, he is transformational because Barack Obama said it. I played, I played this on my radio show every month probably for eight years. When Barack Obama yelled into a microphone... We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. This was 2008. Yeah. That's right. I said at the time, I don't want to fundamentally transform the United States of America. The left does. And everything it fundamentally transforms, it ruins. It's fundamentally transformed our universities, our high schools and elementary schools. It's fundamentally transformed our arts institutions. Do you know that because uh, of my involvement in classical music, I follow the the subject a great deal. New York Times chief musical critic, Anthony Tomasini, wrote this past year that the New York Philharmonic should drop blind auditions. For those of your listeners not aware, orchestras, in order not to be racist, in order not to be sexist, created auditions where you didn't see the performer, the musician. They, they just played their instrument. Hmm. And so uh, we've had blind auditions for decades now. Just to be utterly fair, we're not going to take somebody we know, not a friend, not, not, a, not, not prefer a male, not prefer a white, not prefer a good-looking person to a mediocre-looking person. How do you play the oboe? Period. It is as pure a, a merit choice as exists, I think, in society. And the New York Times came out against it. You should take the black oboist in any event. <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised because that's what we're seeing Everywhere, you know, the, the effort in California to write discrimination back. Right. The so law. you know what happens? I'll tell you, this is so anti-black. So when United Airlines says, like Tomasini in The Times, when they say we are going to reserve 50 percent of our aviation schooling to blacks or people of, of color and women for the first time in my life, if I if in a few years I see a woman pilot or a pilot of color, I will wonder, are they as good? I never, mm. ever, I fly constantly. I fly every week of the year and have for 20, 30, 40 years. And it, I've had women pilots and I've had pilots of color. It never meant a thing to me, nothing. Now it will. Can I tell you something? It meant something to me because I thought they've had to be even better. That's right. They, these people That's have exactly had to overcome correct. incredible odds you. against them. I totally agree and, with and, you. 
Right. And there are certain things where you don't you don't want affirmative action. And I can say that as a woman, you know, like I want the best flyer to get the job. And there are all sorts of different skill sets. Yes, if there's some historical barrier to entry, I understand that. Take a hard look at whether you're open minded to skill sets, even if it comes in the form of a woman or if it comes from a black person. Yes, if if you feel there's actually a structural barrier, you should take it down. But, you know, quotas for jobs like that that involve public safety are just stupid. It's the same way we shouldn't be opening the door to female firefighters if they can't pass the test. They got to go in and get bodies and get them out of there. If they're not strong enough to do it, it's not anti-female to say they can't. So that's my wife says all the time. If there's a fire in the house, she hopes men show up. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. I mean, listen, it's like if I if somebody, God forbid, I lost somebody or I needed comfort or I'd rather have a woman. There are things that we are better at. And so would I. And And it's not sexist to acknowledge that. It's like I I hate that we've got this point where we can't. It's actually beautiful to acknowledge that there are two different sexes. I I feel so bad for kids today. The left has so screwed them up and screwed up their childhood. For example, one of the glories of my childhood was the, was what are girls like? <laughs> and, and, <laughs> That's the glory and, of most men's childhood. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, the the acknowledgement of boy are they different and and the girls about you know they go through the boy crazy period of of their teens and some more than that and that's good it's actually a good thing what is the other sex like and i'm not the other sex and what therefore am i this is this is an one of the most exciting and and humanly developing aspects of childhood and it's been deprived of them you're all identical South Carolina, South Carolina teachers announced years ago that teachers in elementary schools will no longer call their 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 students boys and girls, but students. I, it makes it makes me angry. I feel it. I feel the loss of it. And I'll tell you what, my kids now they're uh, 11, 10 and 7. And when my now eldest was going into school, I read a great book called Why Gender Matters. And this is before, you know, this is not that long ago, right? He's only 11 and he went to school at, we were making the decision around four, what what K through 12 school he would go through. Um, and this was an accepted book, positively reviewed by the New York Times and talked about the importance uh, of all boy education and all girl education, if that's where, where you want to go and what you'd get. Now the whole world has turned on its head. Now that guy is a transphobe, right? Now that guy, gender doesn't matter at all. It's not a thing. It's a social construct. We're not allowed to refer to biology or what we know are inherent differences between us. Well, I refuse. I see with my eyes. I, I feel with my brain and my heart. And you, you can't be told to abandon that after, in my case, 50 years of living it. That's correct. And I mentioned that uh, what the left has done to childhood, I'll give one more example. To be raised to believe your past is evil, your present is fraught with danger, and your future is an existential threat to existence. Mm. This is what the left does to children. As an American, your past is evil. Your present, you may die of a virus. You can't go to school. You can't play with other kids. And if you do, the, even outdoors, you have to wear masks. And your future is very up in the air, whether you will actually live out a life because of global warming. Right. 
This is the antithesis of American childhoods all through our life. Pride in America's past while understanding that there were evils that were done. These evils, just for, for those who went to uh, school and don't think clearly, the evils of America were universal. The goodness of America was unique. That's the point. That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's and it's up to us to sort of, you know, we talked to Ben Shapiro about this. Take your kid to church on Sunday or a synagogue and take your kid to the 4th of July parade. And if you don't have one in your town, create something meaningful. We're doing that right now. I'm, I'm in the process of planning this big blowout 4th of July party about with patriotism and patriotic songs and readings because there isn't actually a 4th of July, July parade in my, the town where we go in the summer. And we have to start doing it. We did it on Memorial Day. You know, we talk about how great our country is all the time, but these rituals, Rituals Matter. are they, everything. They rituals are everything. You can't survive as a people without ritual. The Jews are around for 3,200 years because of ritual. It's one of the it's great true. lessons. The, the Catholics I, do it well, too. I mean, even the you know that, when we had the, right. the Latin masses. That's right. Um, and you know, you go in there and you don't know really necessarily why you're standing, when you're standing, why you're kneeling, while you're kneeling, why you're, why you're saying what you're saying. But it, the ritual of it is a it bonds you. And it does give you, back to your original point, meaning. It does give you meaning and takes up your time in a way that actually is useful and positive as opposed to just leading to boredom and false prophets, right? False That's prophets. That's what it is. That's so. That's right. We're giving them meaning. As I, another piece I wrote a few years ago uh, uh, on the statue issue, I, the title of the piece pretty much said it all. The left fights statues, the right fights evil. <laughs> so what? What happens now? What do you think Joe Biden, what does his remaining term look like? And what is his legacy setting up to be, given the very real rea reality that, you know, the first half of his statement was true? He, he, he does only have a small majority in the House and a tie in the Senate. And so, and, there, and there's a reason for that. The American people did not vote for big, sweeping, transformational change. That's right. But it doesn't matter. Do you know, again, this is my field. And so most people have heard of the Bolsheviks. They don't know anything about them, except maybe they know they were the, the communists run by Lenin, the Russian Revolution. So you'll find this fascinating. Bolshevik means majority, Nick. Bolshoi in Russian means big. The Bolshoi ballet is the big ballet. So they took the name. They were in the minority. The Mensheviks were in the majority. The Mensheviks were not communists. They were more socialist. And the Men Menshevik, Mensha means less. So it was the majority Nicks versus the minority Nicks. However, the majority was in the minority. Mm -hmm. They called themselves the majority. That's what, that's what we're told all the time by the left, we represent the American people or, or, even, or even liberals. They don't even represent them. They're Bolsheviks. They've taken on this name. One, one further comment, if I may. Yeah. I think Joe Biden or any Democratic president is irrelevant. The, the, the issue is leftism, not individuals. If he were not president, what difference would it make? If Buttigieg were president, would anything be different? If Harris were president, would anything be different? If AOC were president, would anything be different? They're interchangeable. Leftism is in charge. 
Joe Biden is the figurehead of leftist policy. He, he lived his life as, largely as a liberal, but you can't survive as a liberal in the Democratic Party. And you can't survive it because you want to be thought well of by the New York Times. Or as I put it often, there are two groups in America, those who fear the New York Times and those who fear God. Thanks for staying with us this far, the end of the episode. And who's coming up on our next show is right after this quick break. Joe Biden, you know, he was he was the moderate. That's what we were told. Yeah, exactly. Campaign. And I knew I knew he was a fraud. Of course it was. Any Democrat who became becomes president is a leftist. That's what runs the Democratic Party. And, and, and that's fine. I mean, let's but it's it's not fine in the sense that I'm happy with it, but it's fine to to tr- to acknowledge truth. Biden is irrelevant to the discussion. The it, the issue is leftism. And as I said earlier in our dialogue, the tragedy of our time is that liberals vote for leftists. Right. Well, and, and that's, you know, what's going to be interesting next time around is who are these disaffected liberals going to gra- gravitate toward? Because we don't have Trump to kick around anymore. And Trump, even though Trump was really kind of nonpartisan coming into the race, you know, he was he said what he needed to say to shore up some of the religious right. Nobody really believed he'd read the Bible or had strong feelings about the life issue and so on. But he but he was the most pro-life president we've seen in a generation. But my point is simply they don't have him. So who who could they get behind? Could they support a governor, Ron DeSantis? I don't. I don't know. Dennis. You mean liberals? You're talking about yeah, liberals. liberals. Yeah, as truly liberals, leftists. Not, not leftists. Yeah. No, because the, the New York Times will attack DeSantis as strongly as it attacked Donald Trump. That's uh, right. The, 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 so people should be aware of that. It's an excellent question. Uh, look, I, I, I'm a Jew from New York. By definition, I was a Democrat. And on my birth certificate, it had gender and party. And according mm-hmm. to the left, party is immutable. Gender is changeable. So, uh, 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 but I, I, I mutated, uh, uh, and I tell you exactly when it happened. I was a Democrat until Reagan and, uh, Reagan said something which shows you how important, uh, an I, an idea said persuasively and concisely does not necessitate a book. And I, and I write books. I think books are critical. Nevertheless, he said, and this transformed me. He said, government is not the solution, it's the problem. Yeah. And that's when I became a Republican. And that was, then I realized, wait a minute, whoa, all the evil, the gigantic evils of the bloodiest century in recorded history, the 20th century, communism and Nazism, they were all done by big governments. Nobody talks about this. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Oh, religion, it's the greatest killer of humans in history. That, that's That's... There's such dishonesty. It doesn't compare to communism. It doesn't compare. No century had had the deaths of uh, the, by religion that was 100 million people, not combatants, were killed by communism. And nobody gives a damn. How many kids at Harvard uh, uh, ever can, can identify the Gulag Archipelago? It's an astonishing thing that virtually none could. The mass slaughter factory. I don't know how many could identify Auschwitz. Mm. You you wonder, and I'm not kidding. When I meet college kids, I do you learn 
anything in high school? Do you learn anything in college? And the answer is they learn very little. They learn that America is systemically racist. Well, do you want to hear something about it? So friends of ours, friends of friends, I should say, here in New York, had their kids in these very tiny private schools, and they moved down to Florida for the pandemic because they wanted a more open and free life, and they wanted their kids to actually go to school. So they did that, and they put their kids in the Florida public school system, and were saying recently their kids were way behind their kids knew all there was to know about anti-racism and support of trans people and the LGBTQ community and, you know, all the virtues that you're supposed to learn early on to be a good, faithful New York leftist, which is what they're breeding all of our kids to be. But when actually seated next to other children who knew math, who knew reading, who knew literature, um, who knew social studies, they were flailing. They didn't have the data. And I actually have hope. This I, I loved that story because when, you know, these parents, the, the thing they care most about is getting little Johnny into Harvard. And when little Johnny doesn't get into Harvard, because the, at some point you actually do have to spew forth knowledge on exams and if their kid doesn't measure up, maybe that will be an inflection point. That is a very important story. I think it needs to be publicized. I have kids call my radio show. Often, I wouldn't say regularly, but often. And I know within 30 seconds, uh, I, I, say, I would say my batting average is 950. <laughs> no, <laughs> identifying whether the kid is homeschooled or not. Oh. The, the intelligence, the maturity, the non-jadedness. And of course, I will admit there is another giveaway. They call me Mr. Prager. Mm, that's that's exactly right. I hate the trend of kids calling uh, grownups by their first names. I never allow it. Even in communities where they do it, I'll say, "You." I go, I'll, I'll let them call me Mrs. Brunt by my husband's last name, even though I go by Megan Kelly. But anyway, I agree with you. It's just a sign of respect. It's old school. You know, but it's good because life consists of distinctions and one of them is adult and child. And children thrive when there are adults. They don't want parents to be pals. They want parents to be figures of authority. It gives them security. So true. That is so true. It's exactly right. We've gotten away from that. And in fact, it is here in New York City that, that the first name trend is on fire. I remember my own mom saying to me um, something to the effect of I was complaining because she was disciplining me. And she said, Megan, you're not my friend. I'm not your friend. I have enough friends and so do you. I'm your mother and I have a different role. And God, that was so true. I have to say that whatever issues you might have had with your mother, and almost everyone has issues with a parent, you were very lucky that you had a mother who said that. Hmm. You know what, Dennis? I have to say I'm really lucky because I actually don't have very many issues with my mom at all. I had a really practical, down-to-earth, funny mom who was Catholic, very observant, built that into us as well, although I'm less observant, but still a believer, uh, who didn't take herself or this life too seriously and couldn't be swept up in partisanship if her life depended on it. And that that was passed down. You know, the ability to laugh, that's what I miss in 
use people who are so hard partisan. Oh, they, oh, they don't know. <laughs> right? This is, listen, I've written a book on happiness. I, I really do know the subject well. I broadcast the Happiness Hour. I have since 1999, every Friday, the second hour of my radio show. I, I have thought this issue deeply through. And here is something that is critical. Another factor in the leftist, aside from having to find meaning because they have been bereft of it, is they are not happy. There are happy and unhappy liberals, happy and unhappy conservatives. There are no happy leftists. And and really, the the ability to not take yourself yourself too serious, or even oh God, just... that, that that's the, the most absent thing on the left, right? <laughs> my mom was just telling me she was um I don't know she was at the grocery store or something, and and uh, there was some guy who was you know my mom's gonna be eighty in July. He was checking her out. She says to me, "I still got it. I never lost it." <laughs> I love it. I just that you really were lucky. Listen, you know I have a theory, uh, and. Uh, I think your listeners will find this interesting. So again, I, I, my biggest project now, aside from PragerU, my radio, et cetera, uh, the biggest writing project of my life is my five-volume commentary on the first five books of the Bible. I know biblical Hebrew very well. I've been teaching this my whole life. And I point out that in Genesis, the, the Bible does people a tremendous favor. Every family in the book of Genesis from Adam and Eve on is dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, this is a favor the Bible is doing to all of us saying, you know what? If you have dysfunctional elements in your family, welcome to the normal human condition. That's right. Well, can I tell you something else? I think a lot of people labor around worrying that it's only their family that is effed up, right? Like they're thinking, oh my God, nobody Boy, else has this dark secret. And exactly, <laughs> exactly. Everybody does. It's just some people speak more openly about it. But let me ask you about your book, because as somebody, I, I confess, I, I don't understand the Bible that well. I'm not somebody who's read it forward and backward. I mean, I, I went through religious education and all that, but how will this work? I will read the Bible and then I will read book one of yours? Or That's how, right. how is this, well, 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 this going to work? Has, it, it, okay, so I, thus far, Genesis and Exodus, the first two are out. Third volume, which is the, the fifth book, Deuteronomy, is out in October. It's called The Rational Bible. When I uh, write this, these books, I am explaining verse by verse what's going on. No one untutored can read the bible and fully understand it it's just exactly it that's is. been my experience yes very i know it is that i wrote this for you but do you know who i have in mind when i'm writing it a rural chinese peasant who never heard of moses who never heard of adam and eve and i know in my mind this has to explain these verses to this person the wisdom of the of these books has been my secret weapon my whole life. I'll give you one out of thousands of examples. God saves Noah because the world is evil. He destroys it. By the way, I defend God's decision uh, in, in, uh, my, in the rational Bible. Anyway, God, because God is preoccupied with good and evil. And if the, if the world uh, screws itself up, he's got to try it again. I'm, I'm in favor of what he did. Anyway, and it says he saved one person, Noah. And here is what it says. Noah was a righteous man in his generations. Why does it say in his generations? Why doesn't it just say Noah was a righteous man? 
And this explains exactly what we should be doing today with Washington, Jefferson, and Madison. You judge Mm. people in their generations. Where did I learn this? From the book of Genesis. Hmm. Now, if I read the Dennis Prager Rational Bible, do I have to have the Bible handy? Or no, are you because give no, me no, the, the text is in it. The text is there. Perfect. Perfect. Because there's only so much time in the day. That's right. I, no, I yes. confess I haven't read the first three volumes, but I'm going to get this. Abby's not with me today. Today it's Danny. Hi, Danny. Um, she's normally our booker, but today she's playing Abby. Uh, I want that. So let's, I'm going to order yeah. and I'm going to start. Um, and, and should you do that, it would be the, the, a highlight in my life to talk about it with you. Uh, if people, the atheist will gain wisdom from this. You, your faith is irrelevant to my explanations. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I, the, as you mentioned before, these religious stories, precepts, ideas, have they form the foundation for our society. And the more we distance ourselves from them, the more it reflects, right? The more you can see it reflecting in society. And it concerns me as somebody who isn't as well read on, on this stuff as I should be. I mean, it was a long time ago that I had the religious education I had. Right now I'm getting my kids into it, which is important, but it's not the same as actually studying. And I've seen people transformed. You're doing a great favor to them. I have seen alcoholics start to read the Bible and pull themselves yes, out of the depths of Yes, there is no despair. other method. AA is based on, on, on God. That's right. There is no secular substitute for, for AA. Well, off I go. I got to go. I got to go read your book. Well, bless you. <laughs> Dennis, it's always such a pleasure. I love speaking with you. It's mutual. Thank you. Hey, don't miss the show on Monday. We have a treat for you, Zed Jelani. Zed is a journalist who I think it's fair to say is of the left. And um, I don't know, a few years ago had a bit of an awakening where he started to, he made a conscious decision to take a hard look at the way he was thinking, the way he was being fed information, and the way everything is hyper-partisan in today's America. And had the presence of mind to stop, reconsider that, and try to get educated on how to stop it. And now he is on the advisory board of FAIR with me, the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. And uh, we don't share the same politics, but we don't care, right? He's another one of these great guys who, he doesn't make his life about that. He makes it about communication and ideas and the betterment of society and honesty and truth. And you'll love him. So go ahead and subscribe, download, five-star rating, por favor. And a nice little review, your thoughts on the show. I would love to hear them now as we await Zed and Monday. And in the interim, a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. 
Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.